This episode of SBR is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the leading creator and provider of premium audio storytelling, enriching the lives of our millions of listeners every day. Audible has reinvented a media category and is a driving force behind today's audio entertainment revolution with over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And exclusive for SBR listeners, visit www.audibletrial.com SBR for one free audiobook on us. Free, Cliff. Free? <laughs> I mean, that's a deal you can't pass. I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> you listen to Audible, Cliff? Uh, I do. I do listen to Audible because okay. books are good. <laughs> and listening to books is easier than reading books. So <laughs> well, go to audibletrial.com slash SBR for that one free audiobook on us. All right. Enjoy the pod. SBR, the people's pod, giving you unfiltered and unqualified content every single week. I'm Cliff. He's Joe. Welcome back, everybody. What's up, everyone? We have a very, very special guest today. He's been a scout for the Bulls, the Warriors, the Jazz, coached at every level around the world, and he's currently serving as the assistant coach, offensive coordinator of the Raptors 905 team, who had the best record in the G League last season. Chris Thomas, coach, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> coach, coach, you've got 18 years of experience in basketball. And as us, we're, you know, students of the game, trying our best we can. A little bit of nonsense <laughs> here and there. But we just wanted to pick your brain and you tell us, educate us on how we should be thinking about some of these things. So one of the things that I was curious about as we hit first into scouting Anybody during your time of scouting that you knew was going to be a star? Or is that kind of thing kind of tough to really discern? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, you got to understand that the type of scouting that I was doing. So mm. my job, my role, I was what was what was called an advanced scout. And, and in that role, um, you know, my thing was actually I was a member of the coaching staff. I was just out on the road. So essentially oh. what I was doing, yes, I'm going to these games, um, you know, identifying what plays teams run, what they call the plays, diagramming all the sets out. Mm. Essentially, my job was to go see teams play live and then to formulate the best way to beat them. So, yes, I was looking for players, too, along the way, of course, and I had input on potential free agents and things like that. But my main goal and my main job was to be the eyes and ears of the coaching staff on the road and help them prep and game plan and really formulate ways to win every single night. So a little, little bit different scouting. There's obviously oh, guys who, you know, there's scouting departments within the NBA who, you know, guys are devoted to just going see, going to see college kids. There's guys that are devoted to just seeing European talent. There's guys who are devoted to scouting the, the potential free agents and trade targets. So there's a lot of different ways, you know, to sort of impact scouting within the NBA. But, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that I've also been involved in, a lot of different draft processes, you know, with the three NBA teams that I've been been a part of. I actually just finished up um, helping um, assist and leading the um, pre-draft process with a lot of the 
prospects that we had up in Toronto for the Raptors oh, cool. with the draft that just took place. So, yeah, yeah I mean, th- there are definitely, you know, certain guys that walk into your gym and just look different and, and you oh. know, play different and approach the game oh. in a different way. Um, you know, I, was, I was very lucky while I was in Chicago with the Bulls to be, you know, a small part of the process when we got the number one pick and yeah. had to decide between Michael Beasley and Derrick Rose. And um, uh, got you know, it right. No doubt as great as <laughs> Well, as great, and, and what's funny is as great as Michael Beasley was, people forget he led the NCAA in points and rebounds right, that year. Right, yes. You know, yeah. he was an absolute force, you know, at Kansas State. But there was just something about Derek. And, you know, I still say to this day, you know, if injuries had not been been uh, involved in his career, he would have been one of the greatest point guards to ever play basketball. Mm. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, we always talk about this on this podcast. I was like, dude, the the terror that was Tom Thibodeau that took him away too early from us. God has blessed us with Ja Morant, just a second coming of Derrick Rose. But yes, gone too early. You know, Tib, Tibbs does get obviously, you know, and you know, I think he'd be the first one to admit it. You know, he does play his guys a lot of minutes, but yeah. I can't, I can't put all the blame on on Tibbs <laughs> for all that. I mean, what a First of all, an incredible coach, an incredible defensive mind, um, right. a guy that all of his players love. I mean, it, which is evident, right, by all of them mm. wanting to play for him again mm. in every spot that he's ever been to. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's always always a part of that that goes back to coaching decisions, but that could have happened to anybody at any time. So right. to yeah. lay the blame solely on Tibbs for that is really <laughs> difficult. But See, that's yeah, why no, you're Derek, here, Derek was a, right? Well, <laughs> but, but again, De- Derek was a, Derek was definitely a talent that was you know un, un unworldly i mean the, the the kid his athleticism his combination of athleticism skill his demeanor his approach to the game everything all together it's just you know i do feel really robbed of not seeing a longer peak with him because i think like i said i just really believe he could have been truly truly special yeah. yeah yeah is there something particular like something intangible some quality Beyond, you know, athleticism, beyond just the things that show up on paper, when you see that, you're like, oh, that's something really common amongst those players who kind of elevate to that superstar level. Yeah. So, again, I, I've just I've just been so lucky throughout my career. You know, I've had Derek. I had Steph Curry. I, you know, I've, mm. I've had two guys who have been MVP level players yeah. and, you know, have coached multiple all stars and things like that. So yeah you, you know it, the, the common thread is always work ethic um mm. you, you know to me the guys go out and exceed expectations and excel to levels that are you know incredible even among the best of the best you've got the 150 best players in the world so to separate yourself from those guys is, is yeah. pretty difficult to do and the one yeah. common thread for me is always you know the the undeniable approach to the game you know the the, the work ethic the things that go in not just to you know getting in extra reps on the floor but the stuff you do in the weight room the stuff you do in the video room the stuff you you do off the floor in terms of body preparation and mm-hmm. and you know sleep patterns and things like that guys guys that are really elite and guys that are mvp level talents and generational talents always pay attention to those things it's not a mistake that those guys stand out you know yeah. among the world's best it's right. it's it's honestly and to me it's it's something you can control it's something you can absolutely you know, put effort and, and mindset into to separate yourself. So yeah. th- there's a lot, there's a lot of guys who are capable of doing that talent wise. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, you're, there's no such thing as a bum in the NBA, you know, 450 <laughs> no. guys who can all really flat out play. So the yeah. differential and, and the thing that separates you is your, your drive and your work ethic and your mm-hmm. dedication to being the best you can at your craft. And Steph and D Rose were, were definitely two guys that exhibited that, you know, mm-hmm. Clay Thompson was another guy that I had that was just, he just had a relentless approach to the game of basketball and, mm-hmm. you know, love to have fun off the floor. And definitely, you know, when he steps <laughs> off, he has his own, yeah. but, the second and it's time for practice, the second it's time to really lock in and prepare. Those are the guys that do it. And, and, and it's no, it's no mistake. They win rings and win MVP trophies and make all-star teams and all NBA um, simply because of that mindset and that approach. How rare is it to see that kind of quality that the, the guys that want to put in that much effort, like, you know, you're working in the G league right now. I imagine all of those guys are hungry to get into the league so how, how rare is it to see like that level of dedication? Yeah, so that's a great question. And my thing is, I think everybody thinks they're hungry, but not everybody knows what hungry oh. really means. Hmm. So I think huh. there's a lot of things that come along on your journey, you know, whether again, whether it's playing, whether it's coaching, whether it's just, you know, leading a, you know, a, and, and facilitating a podcast, like there are things <laughs> that you have to do. Just, there, there are there are just yeah. things that you have to do to be great and, and in order to know what you have to do and put a plan together and what you have to do you have to go seek out people who who know and understand that one big turning point for us this year and it, it, with raptors nine and five the G League, was we brought in jody meeks in the middle of the season you know jody was a uh, a terrific NBA player, you know, won a Great ring with shooter. the Raptors, played with Kobe, played with, you know, yeah. a ridiculous shooter, right? And and his his mindset that he brought to the table, it really allowed some of our younger players to actually know and understand what work is. You know, you know, some mm. what, what's work to somebody is spinning your wheels to other people. And, and mm. that, that's why that's why you need pros that have been there, people that have been experts in their field to help guide these young guys. And so again, the, the, the statement of saying that you're hungry versus actually doing the things that are going to feed you is a heck of a lot different. So, so, Mm. you know, you, you need some people who are going to be able to put you on that path and guide you. So, but yes, I mean, absolutely. You know, the, the G league was a unique, a very unique experience for me this year is my first year sort of, um, you know, within that, within that uh, league. And it was a very different, very, it was very cool to be around some of these young guys who are, who are just willing to do whatever it takes. But, mm. but again, if you don't have that guidance and that professional experience around you, you know, you can want it as much as you want, but if you're not doing the right things to get it, you know, it's ultimately not going to come. Man, he yeah. said, what's work to somebody is spinning your wheels. Brothers. That, that, is, that great... is the quote of the podcast. I'm going to put that on a shirt. <laughs> That's why he's the coach. Uh, you know, I had a question for you. Um, this is something that I've really been curious about is who sets the culture of a team? Like, is it the GM? Is it the coaching staff? The best player? The Udonis Haslam's? Like, what does good culture look like for, like, a winning team? And you were just on one, right, this season. Like, what what develops into that? Or how? who starts that? Yeah, the, the, the easiest answer to that is, is, is everybody. I mean, honestly, and, and I know it's a, it's a, it's an easy answer to say, but if there's not connectedness and buy-in at every single level where a message is the same, you know, from every single level, it's really difficult to create a culture 
Americans, the culture of accountability. Um, you know, it's, it's really difficult. You know, you've got the president of basketball operation, one thing, the head coach saying another, an assistant coach saying another thing, the star player going in a different direction. Um, it, it's, it's really difficult to, to sort of maintain um, that, that brilliance and that champion level quality. Um, for me, every single great organization that I've ever been a part of, there's one message, there's one path, there's one direction. And the other really important thing is that voices throughout the organization are all allowed to be heard. You know, it doesn't come down to just one guy, you know, being the voice. It's your, it's your best player. It's your 12th man. It's your GM. It's your president. It's your, you know, people on the business side, ticketing, marketing, you know, kind of everybody having a voice and everybody understanding that in order for the, 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 the team to go in the right direction, everybody's voices have to be aligned. And that, to me, is so important. I, th I think another big thing about culture is one of the most over -word, overused words in all of sports, right? Everybody, everybody comes, totally. every head coach that gets a head job comes in and says, we're going to change the culture here. We're going <laughs> to do this. That's we're gonna, why we're I had to ask. A, an aura of accountability. That's, there's a reason why some teams have it and some teams don't. It's because it's really difficult to build a champion culture. Like, I go back. I was able to see every other team in the league. I was able to be there for uh oh. Oh. Dropped. I'm learning more in 15 minutes talking to coach than in the 15 years I've read ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> True. Like truly. But you know. You used to work at ESPN. <laughs> I know. But you know, basically what you said last week is are there bus, are there good draft picks, or are there good organizations, basically? Right. Yeah. Which is what he's alluding to. I, I like want to ask, like, basically, that means what he's saying is if you have dysfunction yeah, on any level, then yeah. that kind of ruins the culture, right? That's, that's how you get the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> 14 years of missing the playoffs. All good, coach. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, you missed it. I said, I, I told Joe, uh, I've learned more from from you in 15 minutes than I have reading ESPN for 15 years. And I and I worked at ESPN. Yeah, and, and you know, used to work at ESPN also. So. <laughs> and I, I don't I don't know about anything. It's uh, it's it's just it's fun to just talk, right? I mean, it's you yeah. know, I love I love this game so much, and yeah. Such such a student of it, and, and really try to try to improve every single day. And you you learn things from every, from a bunch of different sources too, which is which is great. So yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's why dialogue's so important, right? Yeah, that. And then the other thing was, uh, you know, when you were talking about culture, how it starts from top to bottom. Now, good organizations share the same message, and then bad organizations like the, then you get the kings, you know, and then they're just saying whatever. Because I guess the question to you, I, I this is kind of a little bit off the cuff, but um. Are it so, so the question I have is if you put are superstar players destined to be superstar players or if they go to a bad organization are they likely to be a bust or good organizations make players like it, is it the player or is it the organization that helps foster like if you put Steph Curry like everyone talks about oh Minnesota missed out on Steph but we're like if Steph was on Minnesota would he be Steph or you know would he be nobody you know would they right. be like stop shooting threes. Sure. Well, the, the the question is, you know, we'll just we'll take Steph as the as the prime example here. The question is, 
would Steph be Steph if he wouldn't have invested in himself? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to remember the beginning of Steph's career. And, and again, we were, I was, I was in such a fortunate position because when we came into Golden State, when, when, when Coach Jackson was able to get there and, and establish, yeah. you know, sort of the foundation of what's going on now, Steph had made the choice and the decision himself that he was going to get stronger, that he was going to make mm. his ankle better, that he was going to, that he was going to, um, you know, put himself in position to be the player that he knew he could be. Mm. So I do believe that, yes, from an organizational standpoint, you can guide players in the right direction. You can guide stars onto the path of being stars. But at some level, it's always that player's decision to become what they're destined to become. Mm. And so for me, again, and I hate to say it, it really is a little bit of both, right? Like, cause you've yeah, got, yeah. you've got to have the direction and you've got to have the pathway for a player to, to make that leap and to take that step and to be, a, you know, a generational level talent. But at the same time, that guy has to believe in himself. That guy has to have a great support system around him who pushes him in that direction. And he's ultimately going to be the one that makes that decision in order to, to, to be what he can be. You know, another great example is, you know, the Warriors had a kid named Marquise Chris a couple years ago. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was a, a highly, you know, drafted player in Phoenix. Top and, five, yeah. And this was, you know, this was before Phoenix, you know, had Monty come in and sort of revamp right. what was going on there. And Draymond brought that topic up. You know, you know, Marquise went in and had some some really big time moments for Golden State. And he brought that up. He said, you know, if this kid would have been drafted by us, you know, nobody would be talking about him, you know, even being in that bus conversation. I don't know that I go that far with it. But what I do know is organizations have to provide pathways for stars to be stars. And yes, it's, it's no coincidence that certain teams end up in the bottom year in and year out. Right. In, in a league especially designed for, you know, turnover and you know yeah. and, uh, and and to create competitive balance it's almost difficult to stay at the bottom and yet some organizations <laughs> have found themselves in that front. and it's it's for various reasons too right i mean people have tr- you know organizations have tried hiring new gms new head coaches new players new there's just something sometimes that you know that that holds you back and if you find the answer to that you can go make billions of dollars you know, <laughs> on the, uh, speaking on the circuit and trying to guys to guys culture of their organization so so yeah I, I think the answer is is much more difficult than just one specific thing but 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 stars stars in the most part stars are going to be stars and Hmm. it might take some guys longer than others but there's a reason why um guys are projected to do what they do and oftentimes it's because of their skill set and because of their talent Mm -hmm. yeah that's great that's that's awesome um something that i've also been curious about is is every coach in the NBA, a good coach, similar to how the worst player in the NBA would dominate a street ball game. Like how would an NBA coach do with like a high school basketball team? For instance. Yeah. So, so again, this and another really, really good question. So the way I look at coaching is, and I mean this with all due respect to the college game, the high school game, AAU, all that, yeah. but coaching in the NBA versus every other level is like checkers and chess. It's played on the mm. same board but it's a completely different basketball game. It's a completely different. Uh, it looks the same to a lot of people, but there are levels that are just completely different. Every coach, I, I shouldn't, 
I should say damn near every coach has the requisite of X's and O talent, um, knowing and understanding what to do in certain situations. That stuff's a prerequisite for the job. What Mm -hmm. what I believe separates people and, and separates coaches from being good coaches to great coaches to elite level coaches is the ability to not just manage superstars, but manage situations. You know, you're really, you're, you're really a CEO of a fortune 500 company as a head coach, Mm. you know, the PMs and the owners are of course making big broad level decisions that are going to affect the outcome of the organization for years and years and years. But as a, as a head coach, you're affecting and you're, you have the thumbprint and the fingerprints on the season for that year. So you're really kind of on the on the micro level, making those big time decisions in order to be successful that season, maybe into two seasons. As you guys know, an NBA coach's job is is, is tenuous at best. I mean, I think yep. I read I think I read a couple of years ago the average year of a head coach is two and a half seasons. So it, it, it's a diff, it's obviously a difficult job. But it's the easiest one and most dispens- dispensable one in the NBA if you're you know if you, if things go wrong. So. I, I do believe that the vast majority of head coaches are really good coaches, but in order to separate yourself at the NBA level, not only is it player management, not only is it dealing with, you know, um, expectations of a myriad of different people, but what separates you is really your relationships and your ability to continue a message from the top down. Sometimes, sometimes you're going to have a roster that you don't want. It, it's going to happen. You, you know, there your coaching style may not fit with what ownership and management is going to give you. So being flexible, being pliable, being resilient and instilling that value into your coaching staff is another thing that separates people. You know, again, I've been, I've been in coaching coaches meetings where it gets, it gets, you're yelling, you're screaming, (laughs) your point as the only point that matters. But the second the head coach makes a decision, you have to become unified as a staff and go preach that message on the floor as if it was your own. So mm-hmm. head coaches sort of have the ability to not just manage the players, but manage their staffs. And, Cause that's, that's one thing you got to remember. You're, you're in a room yeah. full of people who, who are alpha mentalities most of the time too. So um, when you're an alpha and sort of a beta job, you know, you, you need a strong person <laughs> that's going to, that's going to really, you know, be able to, to get his message across through you. So there's just so many different levels that are required that, you know, again, yes, it's important in college to have, um, you know, a great structure offensively, a great system defensively, but ultimately to me, and I've coached in college as well, ultimately to me, if you can recruit and get the best players, you're going to be in a much better position to win. And the NBA, like Mm -hmm. we've already talked, all, all those guys can play. All those do certain things. And, And it ultimately comes down to, you know, to, to the GM and the ownership and all those guys helping you get a roster together in college, in college, you, you're able to go pick your own roster. You're able to go sort of accumulate the talent that you can accumulate. So, so that's the difference to me in the NBA. And that's oftentimes, and there's been a couple, you know, college coaches that have been successful in the NBA, but that's oftentimes why college coaches fail in the league is the level of control that you have, even sitting in that first seat versus, college and pro is completely different it's a star driven league in the nba it's a ego management league in the nba it's a talent management league in the nba and it's a much collaborative effort um, within the nba structure as a head coach so so that to me you know is is sort of a separator i I think a lot of guys if you sat down and spoke with 
you know, whether it's Ime Udoka or, or, or anybody else that's out there, any brilliant mind coaching the game of basketball right now, generally you're going to come away impressed with them with their knowledge. Mm. But what I've found is the guys, again, that really separate themselves, they're the ones that, that, that can control things and, and bring a different level of communication within the locker room. And that's the stuff nobody sees. Yeah. And that's hard. To, that's why it's always hard to judge you know, what a coach, what a coach is and who he is, unless you have intimate knowledge of, um, of all the different situations. Mm, it's very interesting. You brought up Emi Odoka. Um, cause we actually were going to ask you about him, but, um, actually I, I, well, we wanted to ask you like, who would you say are your top five NBA coaches right now? In the league? I mean, I would start with Eric Spolstra for sure. I mean, that oh, guy, I a favorite him. of this one, <laughs> favorite of this pod. Man, what he does on a on a day to day, year to year basis, it astonishes me. I mean, the guy is, you know, we talk about how how incredibly talented everybody is in the league, which is obviously true. But that guy, the thing that the thing that makes me excited about a coach, the thing that makes me excited about wanting to study a head coach in the NBA and try to implement some of the ideals and the philosophies yeah. into day to day thing, is can a guy exceed expectations? There mm-hmm. has not. Like, again, going back through his career, there have not been many times where he has not exceeded expectations. Even with LeBron and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, those teams had astronomical expectations, right? But win it every year. But I'll tell you what, that guy from an X's and O's coaching perspective really did things that was was just – his ability to be flexible, his ability to change his philosophies based on his talent really impressed. You know, again, you go from having LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and then transitioning and adjusting into a different roster and still going to the NBA finals. Yeah. And that, that to me is he's done it every year where his teams have exceeded expectations. And that's just, that's, that's incredible to me. That that's a great coach to me. I also, I, I you know, it's an easy answer having, you know, a guy just won another title, but you know, it's, it's been neat to see what Steve Kerr has done. You know, I, again, I'm in a very unique position, you know, to watch what coach Jackson did, you know, I, I, to be a part of that, to be right there with him while he was doing that. And then to watch coach Kerr come in and just knock it out of the park and to take what we did and build on it and expand upon it and bring different extra areas into the, into the equation that have allowed them to become the dynasty that they have be ha- that they have become. I really respect that. And I really appreciate that. Cause I love those kids that are there. <laughs> I love yeah. all the <laughs> that we were able to coach and, you know, it's, it, it, it's neat to see that there, there's a guy that's still on his staff named Chris DeMarco, who was with us, you know, we're under coach Jackson and to just, to see him win four rings and to see him, you know, have the impact and the, and, and the, you know, the handprints on, on, on what's going on is just really neat to me. I'm, cool. I'm someone that roots for, I root for my friends. I don't root for teams. I root for my friends. I root for players that, <laughs> coaches that I love. So to watch what's going on there is just, I mean, that to me, it's, yeah. it's just incredible. Yeah, we're, we're rooting for Raptors 905 from now on for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you go, we're definitely rooting for that team. <laughs> That's good news because we, we, we need all the fans and the support we can <laughs> But no, but it's, you know, he, he's, he's exceptional. And I, and I always go back to, I always go back to Greg Popovich too. You know, I know they've had a rough, a rough go of it the last couple of years. But again, you talk about exceeding expectations and there's not many people that go through a rebuild and are still challenging to make the playoffs every year. So yeah. that even during this little lull of, you know, I guess lack of success, you know, by their terms, 
um, the fact that they still remain competitive year in and year out is is just incredible to me. So I, you know, I, I love watching pop. I, I just, I always get a kick out of the way his players truly love him. You see it. You, feel <laughs> it. Um, you walk into an arena and from top to bottom, you know, the, the media people to, you know, the star player to, you know, when, when Tim Duncan was, was playing for them, there's a love that radiates from that group. And, and that's, that's really special because you don't see that all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I was down on my top five. I love Taylor Jenkins. Um, I think, oh. Oh. I think I, I that's a guy who who gets it. I think you know when you hear him speak, um, you know he's sort of the I say this the right way, but he, he's like a bridge between the old school coaching and, and new school today mm. coaching. Mm. And I, I just I, that impresses me so much the way he's able to convey a message to his guys and get them to play hard and again exceed expectations. So Taylor Jenkins definitely in my top five, and then. How can you not love what Ime Udoka did this year? Mm. You know, you, you you come into a situation that, you know, let, let's be honest, it wasn't ideal, right? I mean, the beginning of the season, you know, trying to get a team and a group of stars to buy into a new concept is not easy to do. And he obviously has the love, trust, and respect within his locker room that was able to bring that out of them for the second half of the season and into the playoffs. So, you know, there's there's many other coaches that I like and respect and admire. Yeah. But it's tough. It's tough for me to deviate from that top five because I just there's just so much about those five guys who I just who I just absolutely love to watch work. Mm. That's a solid five. Yeah. A lot of agreement, I think, with us. Not sure how Eugene would feel about Taylor Jenkins being in the top five, though. But <laughs> not. Yeah. A lot. Of, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I, I like Taylor. We had a, we had a friend on the pod recently and who wasn't a, a huge fan of Taylor Jenkins. Um, I mean, I, I like Taylor. I think what Memphis has done is incredible. Yeah. I, I think they massively exceeded expectations. I like what you say about exceeding expectations. That's one of the reasons we love Spo. If anything, I would say they, they probably should have won three in a row, even in Miami when they had the first team. Um, you know, LeBron obviously had that kind of, you know, the meltdown in 2011, but that's not Spo's fault. I think Spo put everybody in a position to succeed every single time he's had a chance. They went to the finals in the bubble. And this year, I don't think many people expected them to go to the last shot of game seven, basically with the Celtics who seemed better talent wise, you know, two way players and just the way that they were gelling throughout the playoffs. And so, um, I think maybe 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 what it is with Taylor Jenkins is he's a little less uh, tested. You know, all the other guys you mentioned, yeah, all the other guys you mentioned, especially the top three, I think there's probably agreement across most of even we, – we call ourselves the people's pod because we represent the fans. <laughs> and, you know, from the gamut of – we like to think of ourselves as students of the game, NBA heads, but – of course, there's tons of people who just come in with their their team and their bias and their loud voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reason why I put Coach Jenkins in there is I just really see him, you know, you saw it in the Golden State Series, right? Like, he's not afraid to go old school and, and, and mm. be physical and play mm. a style. Mm. Fits his roster. But he's also incorporated a game that allows John Morant to be who he is. And doesn't call a play every single time down the floor. Right. That's the team play free flowing and interesting. And yeah. Like that to me is it's, it's just, you know, so many people see themselves as only one way, 
right. you can just see through his coaching and through his demeanor on the sidelines that he's a very multifaceted coach and, and he's, he's open and able to coach in a myriad of different ways. And that to me is, that to me is amazing. And that I think, I think as coaches, sometimes we get so ingrained in what we think is right. And we don't want to deviate from it. A lot of people in general, but, but I put coaches mostly into this group are so afraid to leave what's made them marginally successful and take a risk to get them to the next level. Mm. And that I don't see with him. I don't see that level Mm. of fear. I think he embraces the ideas that, and really is, is pretty, you can feel it that he's introspective and that he's, he's able to evaluate freely and, and he can put in, you know, different wrinkles and different adjustments. And I just, I just really appreciate that about him. I think he's mm. well on his way to uh, to, to an incredible coaching mm. career. Yeah. The thing that we love and we like to spot for is someone that is making adjustments. Like if something's not going your way, you adjust, you move things around. You're not, I think everything you're saying, the flexibility, not being so hard nosed on your philosophy. But I, I wanted to get your get your thoughts on this because this is something that Joe is a very small microcosm, but how he determines a good coach versus a bad coach is the TV timeout. <laughs> if in the TV timeout, your coach is saying, just, just go harder, <laughs> just do it. It's like very vague things versus someone that's saying, remember, Grab every loose ball. Do this. Do, yeah, you know, like specific, make, get every good like shot. Like usually two or three specific, specific things. Specific yeah, like we're getting killed on the boards. You know, get back in transition. It's usually those are the better coaches. <laughs> That's just what I think. You guys have to know is you know in those snippets that they show on TV, ESPN. And I, I, I'm sure you yeah. guys know this, already, but but ESPN, ABC, TNT, you're not allowed to broadcast um, game plan specific things. Of course, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes the things you hear are just what they can use. Fans into the huddle. And I get that. And it's an entertainment business, right? Yeah, I mean, this is yeah. end of the day, as, as, as much as of, of a pure basketball fan, I am, you get it that you want, you know, I, I, my mom, I want her to be able to watch the games. You know, I want her and, and yeah. that, that's intriguing to people, right? My sister, my, yeah. my, my, cousin who you know he's he's 12 years old he doesn't understand all that that's cool to him right to see to see a head coach talking to a player just like his head coach talks to him in the huddle so so i get all that but you're not gonna get all right guys on this next pick and roll we are gonna blitz chris ball you're never gonna hear any of that stuff <laughs> so like the so stuff, don't read too much into it don't read too much into that you know I bring up Coach Gaffney because he—he's the best boss I've ever worked for. You know, oh. I talk about from every angle, and and I again, I've been very lucky. I've worked for a lot, a lot of people. I've been around the game a long time, but Coach Jackson was so gifted at getting teams to buy into a message, at getting guys really feel like they were a part of something bigger than themselves, and to really feel like they can conquer anything and instill a belief into them that they can go out and, and move mountains. One thing about, about coach Jackson was in those huddles, best I've ever seen. Best I've ever Whoa. seen. He is, he is, and I'm not even talking from an X and O standpoint. I'm talking about from a reinforcement of a message standpoint in those oh. huddles. It's mm. Like I'm telling you, like we, we, 
I would get goosebumps thinking about some of the pregame speeches that he's given, some of the some of the message that he's talked about, some of the things that he's given to some of those players. You know, I, I know this is kind of the most commonly used example, but we're playing Denver in the first round of the playoffs, and I believe it was 2013, and it was kind of our first our first big step to you know to, to making the Warriors what they are today, right? We beat the, we beat um, we beat Denver, who was a 55 win team that year. Yeah. Um, you know, Coach Jackson started saying, this is the best shooting backcourt. Right. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. It was a hot take. Uh, no kidding. But at the time, <laughs> there was getting so much pushback on it and so much, you're crazy. Why, you know, you're just talking about your guys. You're pumping them up. Well, no, nah, he instilled a belief in these kids. They mm. bought into it, and they achieved things that maybe they didn't even know that they could achieve. Now, Clay and Steph are two really confident dudes, so I'm sure <laughs> – but I don't know that anyone had articulated that to them before, that that's a goal that you can accomplish. So delivering a message in a, in a timeout or in a huddle, you're not going to always get the great stuff on. <laughs> um, but, but no, but it's, uh, it's, it's, again, it's just, it's just one of those things where when you are given access at a certain level, you can really start to appreciate what a coach is and, and the message that they're trying to give. But, when it's just a snippet and when it's ESPN or TNT or ABC, yeah. version, not, there's not going to be much insight into who. <laughs> All right, Joe, no more reading into that then. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't determine it. Okay. Get off coach bud. All right. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't coach bud. It was, it was Steve Nash, but you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put coach on the spot with that one. <laughs> Coach, that I, I actually struggled with that because I, I really, I really appreciate you know what he's done and, and and the levels that he's been able to take Milwaukee, what he did in Atlanta before that. You know, the, the man is super accomplished. But again, I take no stock in any of that. I know some guys that have been on his coaching staff. I know some of the players that have been up there. Again, you talk about a guy who has immense um, command of a locker room and respect from the players, and his staff loves and trusts him. That's a guy right there. So, wow. so probably seem boring or mundane or monotone. <laughs> but at, what really matters is what's said behind, you know, behind closed doors and what's said in practice and the adjustments and the things that he makes, um, you know, in that in that regard. So I, I, I'm a big fan of his. I know he gets some I know he gets some criticism for maybe being a little too good with his style and things like that. But mm -hmm. but matter is the man is a championship level coach and he's done it at multiple stops and right. that says more than what you're going to hear in a timeout <laughs> right, right. well that i don't think cliff's cliff's putting words in my mouth here it's making me look bad because okay, uh, this isn't really this isn't really he's good at this making me look bad <laughs> look at this right we all see the game through different eyes through different lenses through different perspectives it's it's again you know not not to bring what's going on in the world into this but that's the that, that should be the beauty of all this right we should mm -hmm. listen to people, we should respect people we should hear yeah. where they're from and agree or disagree that's fine but it's about having a dialogue about it right and right. it's about trying to understand why people think the way they think and and that to me is the beauty of this everybody can have an opinion it doesn't matter if you played at a high level it doesn't matter if you coach at a high level it doesn't matter if you're a casual observer that's the best part of this game is you're allowed to have an, an opinion and to think yeah. the way you think. And 
And that to me is what keeps this game going and keeps it growing and has, it's the reason why it's, you know, become the second most popular sport in the world behind, behind soccer, because everybody feels like it's, it's an easy game to understand. It's an easy game to watch. It's a fast paced game. So opinions can be formed and it keeps the dialogue going and it allows the popularity to spread. Yeah, that's what we do on this pod. It's like we we there's sports is passion, right? Everyone is passionate about sports, but we're just like you know, just have fun. Let's have a good time. <laughs> Let's just enjoy ourselves. Like you know, life's too short to yeah. not laugh and have a good time. We definitely don't um, take ourselves too seriously. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You got really mad about this timeout thing, but <laughs> Are you mis- you're um, misrepresenting my position over there. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right, Cliff. I know this is what you do. <laughs> All right, um, Coach, we, we have just a couple quick hits from around the league. Curious your takes on, from the expert, from the coach, we play a game called, if you agree, all day. I agree all day, or is it cray-cray? Is it the craziest thing you ever heard? <laughs> First thing I want to ask in the news today, Coach, the best way to settle teammate beef is to make them box it out. And so Kendrick Perkins came out and said Ray Allen and Rondo had so much beef, they brought boxing gloves to the practice floor and they boxed it out. Coach, all day cray cray, best way to settle teammate beef is to box it out. The cray cray. Okay. <laughs> I so another guy that I, I had at the end of his career was was Ben Wallace. Oh. Ben's Ben's nickname was Body for a reason. Out of stone, right? We had another guy named Kirk Heinrich at the time. I, I couldn't have oh, yeah. match between Body and Kirk Heinrich. That would not end well for the organization. It would be, you know, we talk about protecting assets a lot. Talk about like a, an unfiltered, unbelievable, you know, ho- uh, guest, right? Like that guy's going to give it to you. How- <laughs> but that the idea of that being a, a way to to me is completely crazy <laughs> <laughs> like what Perkins what are you doing <laughs> all right coach all day or cray cray Kyrie is worth the trouble she's a vacuum cray cray but in the right situation all day oh um again it's about your leadership it's about the people that he trusts and that he's going to be surrounded by, you know, I have no intimate knowledge of Kyrie Irving. I've never coached him. I've never been, you know, in a position where I've had a a deep dive conversation with him, but everything I see and everything I witness from an outsider's perspective is he needs strong leadership around him. Mm. And He's a leader in, in a lot of different ways. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say he's a, he's a follower or anything like yeah. that. He's got, he's, he's got obviously incredible depth to him. You know, whether you agree with his viewpoints or not, it, it's hard to say he's not a deep thinker on some level, you, you know, and again, you, you can agree or disagree with what, with, yeah. with, what he, with what he expounds. But, I, you know, for me, if you're, if you're the Lakers and you think that's going to solve all your problems going out and trading for Kyrie Irving, that, I, th- I think you're crazy. But if, <laughs> if, you, if you supplement that with some other roster moves and some things that are going to support things that he does well and, and supplement the things he doesn't do well, then, then, then again, in a vacuum, you could look at that as, as, as something that'll help all day long because his talent is undeniable. When he's on the floor, he, you know, his, his ability to score, his ability to pass, his ability to, to, to create. Nasty. nasty, yeah. And, and, 
you know, to me, I, I'm always going to be partial to Steph and everything, but if you're talking about just strictly ball handling, having the ball on a string and on a rope, there's not a better ball handler in our league than that. Mm. So his talent is undeniable, but I think it's just about the pieces you surround himself with and the strength of the organization that's around him. Coach, there was a story about how, I don't know if you saw it, but how he was running practices after practice. So after Steve Nash would conclude practice, he'd run his own practice. Is that a big deal? Is that normal? You know, does that happen? So I, th- I think a couple things. Number one, I, you know, who knows if that's true? I mean, and I don't mean any disrespect <laughs> on this, but sometimes stories get fabricated and they, they, they get legs and people just run with them. So that would be the first thing. Second thing, though, is as a coach, as an organization, you have no problem with players taking ownership of certain situations and mm. work and getting guys on the same page. You have no problem with that. In fact, it's, you know, talking about culture, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you need the you need that, you know, you need it to be hit from every angle. So that, that empowering players and allowing them to, to sort of take a stranglehold on, on certain things is a great thing. So, but again, it's all about context, right? What are they working on after practice? Are they reinforcing the messages of the coaching staff? Are they reinforcing the messages within the organization that are, that, that, that's trying to guide them to the championship that they're, they're trying to obtain? Or is this a rogue thing where they're doing <laughs> Stuff that they're going to just go ahead and implement in the game without preparation for it. So it, again, it's all about context. It's all about what's being, what's going on out there. And unless you're out there, it's really difficult to know. Mm-hmm. All right, coach, all dare cray cray LeBron and Westbrook can make it work. Cray cray. Mm. No, I, I, just, I don't see it. I just, I just, I just don't see it. And I know, you know, again, if anybody's going to be able to make that happen, it's it's a guy like LeBron. Um, you know, you talk about just a genius on the basketball floor. Really, uh, really the you know the Picasso of our time. You know, is is LeBron James. I mean, you talk about from a playing standpoint, from a knowledge standpoint, from a historical standpoint. The guy in our world in basketball is just he's a genius. So, mm-hmm. if someone can't work, it's him. I watched a lot of Lakers games last season and it really I'm so sorry. I'm so it sorry. <laughs> really difficult though to see the master plan involved with that. Now, Anthony Davis being healthy is going to help both of them. Um, you know, depending on what they do this summer, if they're able to, if they're able to, you know, and again, another guy, it's, it's going to be a small piece. It's not going to be anywhere near the level, but I thought Kendrick Nunn not being healthy last year really hurt them just because, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, or spacer he is someone that can give you know sort of the the driving lanes that are necessary for a guy like Russell Westbrook you know you got to defend a lot differently when you when you stack shooters out there with guys like that so um, if anyone can make it work it's him but but I think you know history is usually a pretty good predictor of the future Mm. and if the adjustments or any changes I think it's kind of crazy to think that it's just going to snap in place and work next year without any major construction to the roster Mm. All right, coach. Uh, Benedict Matherin calls out LeBron, says no one's better than me. LeBron's going to have to prove himself to me. Coach, is it better to have a rookie with that level of bravado all day or cray cray? I love this kid already. Like, I, I, <laughs> what, a, what an unbelievable take as what was the eight, eighth pick in the draft. Eighth pick in the draft to come in and say you're better than uh, better than one of the you know five to seven best players that's ever put on basketball shoes. <laughs> I love the confidence, but I have a feeling when 
when, when Indiana and uh, and LA meet, I think there's going to be something personal out on <laughs> realize you know, called King James when that happens. But it, look, confidence, you, you're not going to go anywhere in life without confidence, right? I mean, especially for where, you know, you're surrounded by the greatest to do what they're doing. Um, you know, I, I always look at, I look at Anthony Edwards, right. And it's hard not to love him. Part of the reason is because of his bravado and his genuine belief in himself that he's, you know, he's the best out there. And when, again, when you funnel that and guide that in the right direction, that can be a really powerful weapon. Um, if you think mm. kind of the opposite way, it can burn a house down, right. It's like, it's like the they <laughs> used to use, you, you can use the heat to, to heat up your building or that heat will, will ultimately burn the building down. So, it, it, and it's all about where that confidence is directed to, but boy, what a statement. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see a, a kid like that coming onto your team, are you like pumped? You're like, yes, now I have something to work with. Or are you like, Oh, I wish you were a little bit more humble. No, absolutely. Like I, again, confidence to me is I, I, look, I'm, I'm an extremely confident human being too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm also pretty grounded in reality as well. So <laughs> I think a lot of the confidence I have in a much different manner, but also, and again, this is, this is unique to every single person. Is it actually confidence or is it, is it something you're saying that comes from a more deep rooted sense of doubt, you know? So it's, mm. it, it's, are you trying to project something or do you really believe it? And so, you know, only, you know, that as a player, only the people that are, are that surrounded you and have intimate knowledge of you, you know, will, will ultimately know that. But, but again, like confidence to me, to me is, is a, is a great thing. I think, you know, some of the qual some of the most underrated qualities in life are resiliency and confidence. And I think when you can be resilient and you can be confident, you can go out and tackle a lot of things and, and exceed a lot of the things that, that, that are placed in front of you. You know, is it better than for a guy to have so much confidence, but maybe lack a little bit of self-awareness or to be a little humble, but maybe to lack a little bit of motor? So, so, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, I think you can never lack a motor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we, every, every coach says this all the time. The one thing I can't coach is, is, is energy and effort. I mean, every, mm -hmm. every coach around says the exact same thing that has to be a prerequisite every single time you you know you approach you know a game a practice a, a lifting session whatever you have to bring energy and effort to the table but again it's it, it's 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 so complex in life we can't just be one thing in life right mm -hmm. i mean there has to be times where you're humble there have to be times when you're supremely confident there have to be times where you defer there have to be times where you take the lead and again, I think that's another big cog in the whole process of being the greatest that you can be, right, is, is mm -hmm. knowing and recognizing those times and rising to that, to the challenge that times bring. I mean, look, you know, Michael Jordan, great example, right? Like everybody saw the documentary, you know, there were times where he was the, he was in need, you know, Utah, his last championship, you know, he needed to go make that last basket, you know, various times against Phoenix, you know, when he, when he found John Paxson or, you know, yeah. the Lakers. There are times when you have to defer. There are times when you have to be the man and go get a basket. So, again, it's just it, it's all about recognizing those situations, being smart, adding that basketball IQ to your supreme skill set. Amazing. All right, Joe. Anything else you want to hit on? Are you not going to do that last one? Do you want to do that last one? Uh, one yeah, last, last one. one. <laughs> we got to do it now. All right. Uh, all day we or cray cray. Steph is top 10 all time. 
So you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> yes. To talk about your friend, Steph. <laughs> I will say his career is not over. And when his career is over, I will say all day. Um... Right, right now, it's an unfinished book, though. Right. It's it's like it's like you're reading a suspense novel and you finish at the second to last chapter and you don't find out what's going to happen. Mm. You know, for me, it, it's so difficult. And I'm I'm really bad at comparing eras too. right. Like I, I I've been very lucky throughout my life. I grew up in a basketball family. Um, you, you know, I come from a place where I've learned the history of of the sport. And, you know, if you're trying to compare Steph Curry to Wilt Chamberlain, I, you know, what what? How do you even do that, right? <laughs> or Steph Curry to Bob Cousy? How do you do that? Yeah. You know, it's 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 almost impossible, you know, to do. But I know this. I know within this generation of basketball, there are very few people that I would select over Steph. Very few. And I will say that you know, I think LeBron's a no-brainer. I think I personally would take Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant over him, just from the standpoint of they both played both sides of the floor and as much as I love Steph and I do, and I care about that guy off the floor, just as much as I love watching him per, you know, perfect the game on the floor. Um, those two guys brought a level of defense that, that Steph has not been able to bring and, and, and for whatever reason. Right. So I think that factors into it, but you talk about a guy who has changed the game, who has revolutionized the sport of basketball, who has totally the way people draft players who has changed the way roster construction has started. So I will say when his book is written, when, when his, when his book is closed, when, when the last chapter and the last word and last period is put on his career, he will be considered top 10 by the, the experts and by the people that, that are interested in ranking in, in those sort of ways. I do think he will. But I think it's just really hard right now because because he's not even done yet. And I do think they're going to be competitive for the next three to five years. You know, they're, 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 their organization has drafted so well and, and has so much young talent that hasn't even played yet and made an impact right. that I think their window is going to stay open for a long, you know, a, a while. And, and with hmm. Steph as he's healthy because of his ability to shoot the ball. That kid, that, that kid can play till he's 40 and, and, and have no problem impacting the game. So I just I look at him as the most unique basketball player I have ever seen and look at him as a guy that is just tremendous for the game and has allowed the popularity of this sport to, to just grow a quick story. And I know I'm talking a lot. No, no I, I love it. I love it. No, I can't. Not at all. Yeah. I just want to honor your time, but I, I, will, I would do this forever. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the coach on the Slovenian national team while I was still with the Warriors. And I still remember this like it was yesterday. When I took the job and I was, um, you know, I was flying to all these different NBA cities. I was on a different flight every day. At one point in time when I was with the Warriors, I saw over 200 NBA games live in one season. Wow. Flight in a different city literally every day. And I've got my, my Golden State shirt on, or uh, jacket on with the little logo. I'm sitting next to someone. This was back in, in, in 13 or whatever. Someone asked me, oh, who are the Golden State Warriors? <laughs> oh, we're, we're an NBA team. You know, we play. Oh, where, where, where are you guys located? We're in Oakland, California. And now try to find someone on earth who doesn't know who the Golden State Warriors are. Right? <laughs> so that, that's, you know, sort of a side note. But I, I took a job as a coach with the Slovenian national team. I coached Goran Dragic. I coached some really oh, legendary. The Dragic. 
players um, while I was over there. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'm, I, we're about to play Greece in the European Championships. And I look up in the crowd, and there's one kid with a Golden State Steph Curry jersey. And it was so rare at that time. I got my phone out. I took a picture, and I sent it to him. Because it was like, what? In Slovenia, who <laughs> was Steph's jersey over here, right? Because, again, his ascension was just starting at that point. Mm. And you can't walk down the street in Canada, in Dayton, yeah. Ohio, now, in in any airport. Number in any, one selling jersey. It, it, it's That just shows you how revolutionary of a player he is. Yeah. And, and I draw to him is by NBA standards. Now, he's 6'3", so he's, he's a lot taller than most people. But, yeah. but <laughs> by NBA standards, he's a little guy. And by yeah. NBA standards, he's... He's 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 not a Goliath. He's not a LeBron James who walks in and just looks different. So his Steph's ability to change the game and revolutionize the sport and watch his popularity just ascend the way it has is really special. And so, you know, I, I will never I will never have a bad word to say about that kid ever. And I'm just so proud of him and what nation has done. So I, I hope I hope that most people will consider him a top 10 player. But I know that his impact, no matter where he lands on that list, his impact won't be duplicated by very many many players that have ever put on. Generational talent. Generational talent. Yeah. He's made the Trey Youngs come come from out of out of nowhere. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like guys who you wouldn't and again, I, I you know, the 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 documentary, the, the Jordan documentary was so funny to me in so many ways. Like, you know, they were talking about how um I just remember somebody saying oh he's not seven foot so i'm not sure if he's gonna be able to if he's gonna be able to. well that notion is out the window and, and and guys like mj and steph and, and you know it, you're right it's it's just allowed another torch to be carried and it's allowed people to embrace the nba at a level where all right i'm not 610 but i can still do this at a level that you know, i can i can aspire to and that's that's what that's that's the cool thing about it yeah i love that the the thing that Steph brought is skill can overpower physicality now, and that's that's just beautiful. And that's a, that's, a way to, that's a great way to put it. I think I think Steph's skill level has ascended and overtaken any sort of quote physical limitation that could have been put on him. And and that's again, it's just such a great message to you know. I, I don't have any kids of my own, but. You know, I have five nephews, three nieces. My, my best friend has two kids who I love like they're my own nieces and nephews. And to watch them gravitate towards Steph kind of looks like <laughs> me a little bit, right? Like he's, he's small like I am. He's, 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 he moves like I move. Not, you know, so that, that's, that's going to always be his legacy. You, you know, and, and again, so no matter where he falls on that top 10, top 20, top 50, whatever it's going to be, no matter where he falls on that, nobody's ever going to be able to take the impact away from him that he's allowed and provided to a lot of different people. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, for our listeners, go watch the Raptors 905 next season. <laughs> go support them. They're the number one team on our podcast now for sure. <laughs> for all our guys are going to appreciate that, and uh, and everybody up in Toronto will appreciate that too. But thank you guys for having me. It was, it was a fun experience, and Really look forward to uh, to continuing to listen to you guys and, oh, and hear all your takes as well because it's you know it's a fun podcast it's it's like we talked about it's you know it's allowing 
different viewpoints to be expressed, and that's always great for our game. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening to People's Pod. Subscribe, like, comment, share, rate. We'll be back next week with more nonsense. This is SPR with Cliff, Joe, and the coach. Peace. Peace.